0: all right and i think we are live welcome everybody to the cheat out fireside chat you've got keeler right here and benjamin your <laughs> back from where was it from
1: ecc okay yeah
0: he won't stop talking about ecc <laughs> um and we have a very special guest with us today um not even a human being he's a god welcome chain link god thank you for joining thanks.
2: thanks for having me on guys happy to be here share my wow. wisdom.
0: Yes, there we go. Um, well, let's let's start off with yeah. who who is the man the myth the legend? Who is Chainlink god? Not necessarily having to dox yourself, but
2: Sure, yeah. I'm a I'm a Chainlink community ambassador. So, I kind of think of myself as like the the middleware of middleware where I share info that's in development from the team and everything that's going on in the ecosystem and I kind of share that to the community. So, I kind of think of myself as like an educational role. Uh, educating people on crypto Twitter primarily about all things chain link, DeFi, smart contracts, and basically Ethereum based projects, uh, in Ethereum ecosystem type areas as well. So just kind of helping educate the community everywhere I can.
0: Gotcha. How did, like, what drew you into the crypto space?
2: Yeah. So that was like a couple of years ago. That was kind of funnily, uh, I was, like a gamer so I saw that like GPU prices just went insane and I was like trying to figure that out and saw that you can run a program on your computer make money pop out and so then I just kind of dig, started digging into like why is that the case and then just kind of fell down the crypto rabbit hole and kind of leapfrog Bitcoin and went straight for smart contracts and then just diving into that and, and then eventually what DeFi became a couple of years after that so it's it's been a journey but yeah it's kind of an interesting journey I would say.
0: Oh, that's cool. And then how did you stumble upon then Chainlink?
2: Yeah, so at the time, I knew that like all the best use cases of smart contracts would need some kind of connection to the real world, Mm -hmm. Uh, specifically in the context of like tokenized real world assets. How do you know somebody owns something or what it's worth? I didn't really understand how that was solved at the time because it wasn't, this was like 2018. So kind of interestingly, I was used to browse read it for info on uh, crypto but it was pretty terrible like there was no alpha or anything so then i found out that 4chan had a board on crypto and then like the first thing i read was like a giant thread on Chainlink on it's like enterprise use cases and then this was like before the white or before the website before mainnet before any of the integration so there was very little information but reading the white paper and reading all the use cases it just it just clicked basically and then kind of just been link pilled ever since then
1: Wow, and um, so you came in to contact with Chainlink. You read a little bit about crypto. H- how did you become a god? Like, what what was that process like?
2: <laughs> I mean, when I when I started my account, I just wanted a good brand, and this was like the first idea I thought of. And then I chose a different a profile picture independently of my name, and then it only kind of clicked later. I'm like, ah, wait, that looks like a god. Perfect. And then the brand just kind of stuck ever since. I transitioned from being like just shit posting. And then just kind of educating people. And then now I'm like this ambassador educational role. So it was like, there's no like amazing backstory behind it or anything, but it's just like a brand that works and it's stuck. And then now I'm like this premier educational role in the community.
1: No, I think it's definitely a great role. I think uh, within Chirao as well, we try to educate a lot of people because I feel like there's so much benefit in DeFi, but it's kind of hard to jump in, um, especially if you don't have that like financial lexicon or maybe not that technical skills. So having more of these educators, I think
0: is very important. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And There's then a lot like, of information asymmetry out there.
0: Yeah, exactly. And what, what was the, what was the process like of like, did, did Chainlink like tap you and say like, Hey, can you be an ambassador for us? Or like, how did that, how did that all fall about?
2: So that was, that It wasn't like any formal process. It was just like, I was already educating the community bunch. So it kind of just reached out. It's like, Hey, I can like help educate some more. (laughs) And then now it's like a, it's kind of just like a, a pseudo title of like, Hey, look, I'm an educator. I do stuff for like the chain link community. So it was kind of just like an unofficial thing that kind of just rolled into what it is today of like, just continuing this mission of breaking down that information asymmetry the yeah. community itself was all like very organically grown over time and I was kind of like one piece in that machine
0: uh, I think you're you think I think you're being a little humble there uh, <laughs> one piece in the machine doesn't end up on the Forbes uh Forbes magazine uh tell us a little bit about uh about that piece
2: oh yeah the the, the fortune magazine that was that was pretty interesting that was a uh, I wasn't expecting that but recent piece on on decentralized finance dropped and they had a bunch of crypto twitter personalities on the cover page and then i was one of them with a little uh link cube <laughs> in, in in the background so that that was pretty interesting i'm definitely going to get a copy and maybe frame it or something no, yeah. it's not every day you're on fortune
0: no not at all. not at all not at all we uh um
2: maybe for
1: TradFi people you know
0: yeah yeah maybe for yeah exactly maybe for traditional uh finance people but uh but defi
2: yeah, it's uh, just seeing the wazis and the frogs and the dogs and the rabbits and the, <laughs> all of, like the inside wazis. jokes is, is pretty entertaining.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, perfect. Let's, let's hop into, let's hop into like, what, like, what exactly is Chainlink?
2: Sure. So Chainlink's essentially a, a decentralized Oracle network. And what that means is that Blockchains on their own are like isolated networks. They're very, very secure around transactions, but it's very limited what you can do with that. You can create tokens, DAO voting contracts, deploy contracts, but that's really all you can do. If you want these more advanced use cases that require external data, like price data or weather data or GPS, SMS payments on other networks, you essentially need a piece of infrastructure called an Oracle. And you can't rely on like a centralized Oracle. Because that's like a single point of failure. It defeats the whole purpose of using the blockchain in the first place. So what chain Chainlink essentially provides is like a framework for building these decentralized Oracle networks that can provide very specific off-chain services to smart contracts on any blockchain, whether that's Ethereum, Polygon, BSC, Avalanche, wherever, and effectively allows for the creation of these like what's called hybrid smart contracts that combine on-chain code and off-chain resources like price data, and then you combine it together and get a much more advanced application. So essentially, Chainlink is solving this Oracle problem and connecting smart contracts to all the resources they need in the real world.
0: Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And then, um, so Chainlink, Chainlink became kind of like the, the gold standard for, um, for Oracles. Um, why do you think that actually was, or why do you think that is?
2: I think there's like a multitude of reasons. There's one that it was essentially the first decentralized Oracle network running at scale. So Mm -hmm. it was basically provided the solution that developers needed. And that kind of led to a great network effect over time where now it's securing about $30 billion with like about over 600 integrations with over like 450 data feeds. So it has like this large collection of very, very decentralized and secure uh, Oracle networks that developers can rely upon to continuously provide them external data even during the worst case scenarios like extreme uh, network congestion during nft drops or downtime in like internet infrastructure that recently happened with i think uh, was it was it dns or something so essentially like all these worst case scenarios chainlink just works and i think developers really appreciate that users especially appreciate that because it keeps their user funds secure and so because Chainlink simply works and has so much data, then it's kind of like a natural shelling point. There's there's no reason to use any other Oracle because it already offers everything you need effectively.
1: Right, it's already decentralized, like baked in within it. Um, and we use only Chainlink oracles for, yeah. for our collaterals.
0: Yeah, for absolutely. So like who who exactly is, is a Chainlink then user?
2: Right, so Chainlink, it's not like a decentralized application where users directly interact with it. Yeah. It's more like underlying infrastructure, kind of like a, a bit like Ethereum where it's used by developers who build linked applications and then users interact with those applications. So essentially Chainlink's user base is uh, the smart contract ecosystem, developers, DeFi oh. essentially. And then people interact with those which are like indirectly using Chainlink effectively.
1: Mm-hmm. And oh. just for the audience, um... So the end user, the person using the applications that use Chainlink, they're not actually paying for like the Chainlink, right? Could you explain a bit about how that works?
2: Sure, so like the the decentralized application itself, that would pay for the Chainlink oracles. So they would pay in link tokens to get access to these data feeds or these keepers or this verifiable randomness, and they would effectively pay to secure their protocol. And then users would interact with the protocol, pay gas fees, pay protocol fees, and a portion of those protocol fees can then be basically routed to the Oracles to pay for those services. So it's like abstracted away from the users, so they don't have to deal with that complexity. But I, the application itself would have to pay to, to get access to these services.
0: Okay. Gotcha. And I guess one one thing that uh, that can come up is if if one day Chainlink decides to kind of up the prices and, and they control like like you said, they they kind of are the gold standard. Most, most large, um, protocols and projects use them. If they decide to like up the prices or what, what's preventing them from just like upping the prices and then they have like this monopoly, right? On oracles.
2: So it's kind of two different things. One is that Chainlink isn't like a, like a centralized service, like a, like a tech monopoly, like Google. It's yeah. a decentralized network of node operators. So it's effectively like supply and demand of where the node operators would effectively determine what are the rates that they're willing to publish data on-chain. Gotcha. And then over time, all these fees can be, uh, like the fees for joining a network can be user-defined, negotiate with the node operators. And kind of the other angle of that is like the, the pricing, it's likely to go down over time because of an economies of scale effect where you have these common networks for ETHUSD, BTCUSD, all these data feeds and where more users join these feeds, they contribute their fees, meaning there's more fees in aggregate to pay for these services, meaning the per user costs lower, while the actual aggregate fees increase, which can be paid to nodes who can then increase their security guarantees uh, in, in various different ways so there's kind of like there's two dynamics there
0: gosh, gotcha. you know that makes that makes sense
2: that makes sense
1: perfect, yeah, and um so we we only use chainlink coracles, I think our devs are pretty comfortable with that, our, our community as well. Um, for our users, how important is it to have a reliable Oracle? Could you dive in a little bit into that?
2: Sure. I, I think it's it's incredibly important, essentially. I think that when you have really, when you roll your own Oracle, which is not what you're doing, but like projects that do do that, they're effectively putting the security user funds in their own hands because mm-hmm. an Oracle delivers the data that determines what a contract does. If it delivers faulty data or it doesn't deliver data, then user funds can be at risk, like during a market crash, where network congestion goes up, the price of a collateral drops. You really need price updates so you can liquidate positions. But if your Oracle breaks, then the entire protocol can become under-collateralized and that basically directly leads to users losing funds through the socialization of losses, effectively. So using something like Chainlink, like what your protocol is doing, That effectively provides users greater guarantees that even during worst case scenarios where a giant market crash happens, like we saw a couple months ago, then you know that your Oracle will continue working and therefore your protocol will also continue working and provide these greater guarantees because if your Oracle breaks, your application breaks, essentially. Mm So Oracle security is arguably just as or more important than blockchain security itself. They really need to be both secure. Otherwise, you're a point of failure.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, and it's one less thing to worry about, right? You can focus on your own smart contracts and uh, know that Chainlink's going to take care of the prices.
2: Exactly. I think that's kind of a, another key point where you guys didn't have to go build an Oracle, go build some infrastructure, You know, hire some devs to go monitor it. Like that's it, That takes a long time. It's really expensive. You know, mm-hmm. With the power of composability, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just use time-tested infrastructure, and then you can focus on your core business logic and then make your protocol the best protocol possible because you're focusing on it. You're not building all these auxiliary services that realistically you don't, you shouldn't have to really. Right.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Perfect. And so now, now since Chainlink has gotten to a, a, a certain, certain kind of size, um, and has a certain amount of users, all that kind of stuff, what does Chainlink have to do to continue to differentiate itself or innovate in its space?
2: Yeah, I think there's kind of, there's two approaches. There's like the vertical and horizontal approach. So vertically, each service needs to be increasingly secure because Mm -hmm. as each service like price feeds or keepers, uh, verifiable randomness, as that secures more value, these networks need to become more secure. Otherwise it, it can't, uh, it can't catch up effectively. It can't provide the guarantees that users need. So essentially Chainlink is able to scale its security for each service over time while other protocols are very rigid. With a limited amount of nodes or a limited amount of sources, while Chainlink can continue scaling more sources, more, uh, more node operators, additional security mechanisms like explicit staking or trusted hardware. So, like, it can continue scaling. And then there's the, 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 the key one with like horizontal where additional services are launched. So, price feeds is like the first initial Oracle product. It's very important for DeFi, but now we're seeing things like keepers for transaction automation. We're seeing proof reserve for auditing stable coins uh, that are backed by off-chain collateral and wrapped tokens. We see things like calling any API, seeing things like verifiable randomness. So as Chainlink expands its suite of services, that basically provides a greater market uh, for for the Chainlink protocol. And it basically allows Chainlink to continue being like the industry standard, because it's like a one-stop shop for all of your off-chain services needs. So it's kind of like these two approaches in combination that allow Chainlink to become like a global standard, like HTTP or Linux of mm-hmm. that type. Right.
0: Okay. Yeah. That that absolutely does make sense. Um, you you just you just touched upon one of the products that um, that Chainlink has pushing out, and I think if you're in the Polygon community, you've probably heard a little bit about it, which is the VRF. What what exactly is Chainlink's VRF?
2: Sure. So, kind of to provide some context, smart contracts on their own can't generate or access a secure source of randomness. And randomness is really important for like dynamic NFTs that have random traits or are randomly distributed or things like lotteries where you need to be able to distribute rewards in a way that can't be manipulated. And existing solutions are insecure because they can't be verified effectively. So what Chainlink VRF or Verifiable Random Function provides is a like an Oracle service that provides smart contracts access to randomness That's backed by a cryptographic proof. So the only way that randomness can be legitimate is if there's a corresponding proof so that users can verify that this randomness is legitimate because manipulated randomness without a proof just looks like randomness. You can't tell the difference. But with a proof, you can actually verify, okay, this NFT was actually randomly distributed, which theoretically could make it worth more versus an NFT that was just distributed through some opaque system that maybe was manipulated, maybe wasn't so we're seeing this in polygon a lot with uh with gaming projects nft projects and that's that's really like polygon's uh bread and butter along with its like growing defi ecosystem
0: yeah that that makes sense what what type of um do you know what games might be might be using it so far
2: yeah we, we've seen things like uh Avogache, where they actually called brf like 10,000 times because <laughs> polygon's so incredibly cheap they could do that really affordably for like their the random distribution avagachis we, we even saw things like uh, Axie Infinity. They, they were using VRF for their origin axes to distribute those randomly. So a lot of these different large gaming applications are, are increasingly using using Chainlink VRF, which is pretty cool to see.
0: Cool. Are, are you seeing like the same type of usage on, say, Mainnet that, that you're seeing on Polygon as well?
2: So with Mainnet, the main thing is that it's a lot more expensive. So you can't call it 10,000 times. I mean, you could, it's just like, that's going to cost a lot of link because you have to pay for those gas fees. So in those cases, we see things like pool together, which is like a no loss lottery, which only needs to call VRF like once a week. So in that sense, it's more practical. So it's like more scalable networks can call it way more often, allowing more user facing stuff. And then mainnet is more of like DeFi protocols and like uh, IDOs or something, things that only need to call a little bit
1: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, you, you're a very famous link supporter, uh, chain link supporter, but there's also this thing called the link marines. Uh, <laughs> they're pretty, uh, they have a lot of notoriety within, uh, crypto. So who are they and, and, or and what are they?
2: Yeah. So link marines, that, that's essentially like the chain link community, effectively. They're very, they're very passionate about decentralized oracles and the, uh, the implications that have on the, on the space. So. It's, it, it was kind of organically grown over time. Like when I joined crypto Twitter, it was like 12 frogs maybe. And then now it's probably like a hundred or a thousand times that many people. And like, it's, you know, link marines come from everywhere. They come from Ethereum, they come from Polygon, they come from DeFi, NFTs, the traditional space. Like it's, there isn't like a rigid definition of what is a link marine really. It's more of like, do you support chain link? If yes, then sure. You're a link marine. Like it's a, uh, it's like a, low barrier entry where uh, a lot of people support Chainlink for a lot of different reasons because it can do so much. But if you like Chainlink and you join the community, then people are going to accept you with open arms immediately, effectively.
1: Yeah. And did you start the the frog stuff or was that Chainlink?
2: No. So that was, that was because the community initially, a lot of them were on like 4chan. So that's a lot of where like the Pepe Mm -hmm. and the frog stuff came from. And then as it kind of transitioned to Twitter, this like anon personality stuff just kind of also transitioned. And so now that's like, now that's like attached to the community where like, that's not something like the Chainlink team did. That was just something that the community did. And now that's like, all the major personalities are like frogs, like, like, like myself, which just <laughs> just kind of happened naturally over time. It's it's pretty interesting.
0: Uh, that's cool. So you said anybody who supports Chainlink is basically a, a Link Marine, but you do have ranks. Can you explain those ranks and how do you increase in rank?
2: <laughs> yeah. So the ranks are like a very unofficial system. It's basically just uh, how much link you hold effectively. So the more link you have, the higher your rank. It was a lot easier to rank up, you know, a couple of years ago compared to now. So now a lot of people are kind of stuck on the lower ranks, which is, which is unfortunate, but it, it's kind of just like an unofficial system of like signaling what rank you are. So we, we don't see it too much anymore, but that's like that that kind of ties into like the whole link marine aspect where you can go from like a private to a corporal to a sergeant <laughs> or whatever you want as as long as you acquire link in that sense
0: okay, just nothing gets past God though
1: yeah right. pretty sure right. you can't get higher than God within the marines but
2: yeah the the, the top is general and that that's Sergei Nazarov. you'll always be at the top <laughs> <laughs> cool how how
0: important is community or building a strong community within a, a project?
2: I, I think it's I think it's incredibly important. It's a bit underrated because, you know, the, these projects, if you want it to succeed over the long term, it needs to be decentralized and it needs to be kind of governed by a community who has this collective vision about what this protocol should be and do because projects without a community, they just kind of stagnate over time and they don't have the support, the awareness, the uh, like reaching out to other projects to start using that. So having a community is really important for like a, like a wisdom of the crowd. They can kind of direct the project in the proper direction, or just kind of help educate others about the project so that they can start using it. So if you have two projects, all else equal one with a strong community versus one with a weak community, the strong community one's inevitably going to win out in the end, because even if it's not a great protocol, they can evolve to become a great protocol over time, which is like the power of a community and DAOs, which is kind of an extension of a community.
0: Yeah, gotcha. We actually have a link marine in the, uh, in the comments. I have a quick question for you. Sure. It <laughs> sits there on the screen. I've got the 2100 link. What rank am I?
2: Oh man, I got to pull this up.
0: <laughs> oh, so there's, okay,
2: there's like a legit chart. <laughs> yeah, on com, you can see link rank yeah, charts. Yeah. yeah, so he's a corporal. Congrats, man. Okay. You're a corporal congrats
0: nice nice fantastic all right um i guess uh let's let's see i think there was also we have a question from the twitter um oh yeah yeah from the twitter community
1: with a little Uh, bit of a a giveaway right so whoever had the most likes um got some to reward and Backfire
0: Capital got the most likes. Yeah. And so um we will we will hit this question here shortly, but I one one thing that I did want to ask or a couple things that I wanted to ask before we hop into there and mm-hmm. is what really excites you about like the future of defi?
2: I think defi there's kind of there's like two primary things I think is like the main advantages or like the main things we'll see become a theme is the uh, transparency and control. So like with transparency compared to the traditional system, it's like incredibly opaque. It's basically why 2008 great financial crisis happened, where you can't audit anything that happens. But with DeFi and smart contracts, mm-hmm. it's all on-chain code. Anybody can go look at a protocol, see that it's collateralized properly, look at all the parameters, see who owns what, the health of each position. It's it's purposely very, very transparent. So you can access what the risk of a protocol is by yourself. No permission needed. And the other aspect is control over your own assets. So in the traditional system, you really have to give up control to a custodian. You don't really have a choice. If you want to earn interest or borrow or lend or get some stocks, you got to give up a custody. Mm-hmm. And in DeFi, it's a bit of a scary thing, but it's also very powerful where you can own your own assets. Even if you deploy it into a DeFi smart contract, only you can withdraw that asset, depending on how it's implemented. So it's, it's, it's a lot more control over your own assets where you, You can't have access revoked from you You can't be censored or you can't be uh, shut out of the system because there's no capability for anyone to do that. So it's a lot more you have control over your own assets and combine that with transparency. It's an unprecedented level of uh, advantages effectively over the traditional system. So I think over time, we'll really see those narratives play out and people begin to understand the true advantages that applies to every type of DeFi application that exists because it's not. This doesn't just apply to like DEXs or money markets. It applies to every protocol, decentralized stable coins, uh, prediction markets and everything beyond.
0: Gotcha. It, oh, that's great. Is there anything that really scares you or keeps you up at night? Um, in terms of DeFi, not <laughs> like spiders. Yeah. <laughs> <to scare you. laughs>
2: yeah uh, I, I would say systemic risk in a sense, because Composability is extremely powerful. You can plug all these things together, but if people are aping in too hard um, and something collapses Iron Finance style, then that can generate really bad narratives that, oh, look, look, DeFi's a scam. Look, all these apes jumped in and it got hacked. I think it's really important to for developers and everyone to ensure that their protocols are secure so we don't see a ThorChain-type situation where the same protocol gets hacked like two or three times in a row, where these protocols, they... You know, it's not just about audits, but having like a defense in depth approach, being careful about how you roll out a product, because it's more like deploying hardware than software. When you deploy it, it's really hard to change things and it may be too late to change things. So, you know, if a major protocol gets hacked, you know, that's going to be terrible for the entire space. So it doesn't necessarily keep me up at night. But if that were to happen, it probably would (laughs) in that sense. So (laughs) I hope that doesn't happen. I hope people take a more security oriented approach, like kind of what what Chainlink does effectively for Oracles, but also Mm -hmm. for DeFi.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I know you mentioned just now um, how in DeFi you have, you know, your own custody is decentralized. You can't really be blacklisted. What do you think about now that we're meeting more regulators? um, Some of the larger protocols are starting to, you know, become more, quote unquote, compliant. How do you see that playing out in terms of the values that we have in DeFi?
2: Mm, That's a good question. I think in the short term, what we'll see is like a parallel where we'll see the continuation of permissionless products uh, like like the existing protocols we already have. And what we'll see is like an alternative version where we see things like Aave Pro or Compound Treasury and these different uh, more institutional geared products with KYC and AML. As much as we hate that, there's a demand for it. And so these institutions will basically get their feet wet with these protocols. And I think over time, they'll develop solutions and lobby for like regulations that will allow them to use the more permissionless side of DeFi as like a global liquidity layer, because that side will always have better liquidity because it's open access. Open access is going to have better liquidity, better features, better rates than something that's permissioned effectively. So I think over time, it'll be like two separate environments. And then over time, they'll merge to become one common environment that everyone shares either directly or through an institution. So yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing a lot more regulation. Narratives (laughs) projects trying to become more compliant, which is really an inevitable reality, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But I think over time we'll see a merging of things together where institutions will directly use the Aave and the UniSwap and the SushiSwap and all these protocols directly, uh, because they provide the best services for their users
1: yeah there's a really cool video that talks about that I don't know if you watched uh opium diaries uh by yeah now. it's pretty nice yeah talk about like the severity of like or i guess the scale of what we're doing right
0: yeah yeah exactly pretty cool
2: yeah that was a good video. I like the the framing of the geopolitical where uh nation states are going to have to incentivize using their currencies over permissionless yeah. currencies which that would be very interesting to see how, if we see like CBDC yield farming or something happen.
1: Yeah, that's what it sounds like, right? Like it's almost like uh, China and the US fighting for liquidity, like, I don't know, Curve and Uniswap, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, all at the center of it.
0: Exactly. Uh, fantastic. Um, so Qidao actually just uh, just added Link as collateral to Mint My. Um, what does What does having that option, for the link marines really mean
2: yeah i think it's i think it's powerful in the sense that a lot of the chain link community likes using DeFi on these different networks uh they they, they want to dog food the products specifically that use chain link they're not going to use a protocol that doesn't use Chainlink. so the ability to use a chain protocol with the support of link as collateral to then go borrow stable coins i think it's incredibly powerful because uh, basically brings your finances into your own hands you can borrow to go leveraged long. You can borrow to go yield farming. You can borrow to go use your working capital wherever you want. And I think these decentralized stable coins effectively are going to become the predominant medium of exchange. So if you need to pay, you know, for goods and services, but you don't want to lose exposure, you can use a decentralized protocol and then borrow the stable coins you need to go purchase those goods and services without losing exposure. And that's all in a permissionless censorship resistant way, which is incredibly powerful so i think that as more protocols kind of adopt chain link and support link as collateral as your protocol it basically gives people more choice to basically choose what they want to do with their assets without losing access to those assets which is a powerful concept that we don't really see in the traditional world not in a permissionless sense at least right yeah
0: Perfect, and then I think that's a great segue into the question from Backfire Capital, um, which um, Backfire Capital asked: How does Chainlink God recommend the Chi community build trust with other protocols, especially the the Link community?
2: That's a good question. I think I think the Chi community really emphasize uh, kind of I've noted this multiple times, that like the security aspect of it, where mm-hmm. because you're using Chainlink. That's a good thing to signal to the Chainlink community, but it's also a good thing to signal to other users and other protocols that want to integrate with uh, the products in the Qi ecosystem effectively. Mm-hmm. Because if other protocols can rely on your protocol and you have these guarantees like Chainlink and you can showcase these other, these, these audits in this time tested evidence that your protocol works, then that's kind of definitive evidence on top of the, the, the unique advantages that you provide to basically convince people to integrate with your project. Because I think that's like, that's the best way um, to kind of incentivize or kind of convince people to integrate with your project is that it's highly secure because that's what people care about at the end of the day, effectively. So I think that approach of highlighting specifically uses Chainlink, specifically that has security features and that it's highly transparent is the best way to convince people to interact and deploy and basically build upon your protocol effectively.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's the number one thing that uh, that we ask any, uh, you know, any project or collateral that wants to be, you know, wants to be used, or any token that wants to be used as collateral, you have to have a Chainlink Oracle. If you do not, go and reach <laughs> we'll out to the to Chainlink. Them. Yeah, talk <laughs> go talk to Mike, right? Go talk to Mike at Chainlink and, uh, you know, get, get back to us once you have that, uh, that Oracle in place. Uh,
2: Yeah. I think it's like expanding access to different tokens is that's very important for like having a diversity of choice, but at the same time you can't compromise on security and aspects. Like you could launch a lot more tokens, but then compromise with like low liquidity tokens, really insecure, low quality data feeds. Mm -hmm. And while that may be good for short-term growth, it's not going to be good for long-term growth because long-term your protocol could collapse, you know, which is good that you're not taking that approach That you're taking like a chain link first approach to then ensure that now and into the future your protocol is going to keep working users won't lose funds and that's that's incredibly key
1: yeah especially like in market downturns we've had a couple of you know crazy days in the market as you've seen and uh liquidations have been working well because we have you know such a reliable price feed um and we're able to take care of those liquidations uh smoothly yeah absolutely
2: The, the happy days; those are easy to get by. But it's like the days where everything's bleeding and there's blood in the streets. Like that's that's when protocols are really tested. So that those are always good times to highlight. Hey, look, our protocol works. <laughs> like it's always a good time to highlight that.
1: Hundred percent for sure.
2: Um, I, I guess what are your what are your thoughts on
0: on Polygon and the Polygon ecosystem? Um, have you been able to play around a lot there? I know that you had mostly talked about kind of mainnet and, and the Ethereum network, so um yeah. Yeah.
2: I think Polygon fits a good niche in the sense that because it's a side chain and because it has extremely low fees, it's extremely well suited towards a specific audience that's very fee sensitive. So mm-hmm. on Ethereum mainnet, there's great applications and a lot or a certain percentage of people can afford to interact with these protocols, but not everyone can, especially when there's an NFT drop or something. So I think Right. Having a sidechain, which is, gets some security properties from Ethereum and that has its own growing ecosystem with incentive campaigns leads to the growth of a lot of interesting, uh, high throughput, low cost applications. Like we see with a more, more accessible DeFi protocols, more NFTs, more of these on chain gaming applications, which have kind of converged to Polygon because of it. I think that's kind of Polygon's niche effectively. So it's kind of, I kind of see it as like there's different layers. So you have Ethereum, which is like the, the greatest security assurances at the highest cost. You'll have roll-ups with a little bit more security and less fees. And then you'll have these sidechains, which have a little bit less security, but they're extremely cheap while still providing blockchain type guarantees. And I know that Polygon is going to expand to do roll-ups eventually. Uh, right now, it's like a proof of stake sidechain for now. So I think Polygon, if they successfully take that route, then they could become like a, a very large layer two DeFi package essentially with all these different layer two solutions. So I think they're in a unique position to keep growing if they take things, take things carefully.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also a wonderful team of really hardworking people,
0: uh, the Polygon guys and girls. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see, do you have an ask maybe for the Polygon community? Um, something that they can, they can do for the link community or,
2: I would say that, (laughs) I mean, it's probably like an obvious, obvious answer, but like anywhere that you can use Chainlink to secure these applications is crucial because it doesn't matter if you're on Ethereum, you're on Polygon, you're on BSC, whatever chain you like. If you prefer the Polygon chain for the properties it provides, you still need to provide extremely high level of security. So I think anywhere that Chainlink can be used, then it should be used effectively. So I think it, it would be interesting to see more of like a, this is just kind of well, kind of what I think is that like it, as we see more of like a metaverse growing on Polygon, I think that would be a good thing to lean into and a thing to play into because Polygon's so uniquely positioned with low cost minting of NFTs and these different interactions using NFTs as collateral on DeFi. Then the merging between the metaverse and the DeFi uh, ecosystem together into like one smart contract universe, which that has very powerful properties. And I think that Polygon's probably in a good position to to make that a reality, effectively. Yeah,
1: and also you uh, you run a podcast, right, on Spotify.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Chainlink God podcast. So. What's we'll, also- we'll
1: about that?
2: Yeah, so that that's like a that, that's geared more towards Chainlink, but we talk about things, DeFi, smart contracts. So I've kind of I started exploring the Chainlink 2.0 white paper that released earlier this year. It's like 136 pages. So if you don't want to read all that, but still want to learn about the future of Chainlink, I have a podcast talking all about the the different features of the Chainlink 2 white paper. I would have a podcast on the crypto economic security of Chainlink. We talk about NEV. We talk about the different Chainlink services. So basically it's like, if you want to get the maximum level of link pillage possible through an audio format, then the Chainlink God podcast is like the place to go effectively. So, I I'm, I'm a little biased, but I would say that I know <laughs> a little bit about Chainlink, so it's if you want good knowledge, that's a good place to stop. Great.
1: Yeah, don't forget to check that out, guys.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Um let, let's look real quick at the comments from the community and see if there's any uh, uh any a lot of activity there. Yeah, a lot of activity for sure. Um okay, we've got a good one. We've got a good one right here. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, Well, Well, I mean, go ahead. It's funny. I've I've never heard people like comment my voice before, but then I started doing podcasts and, like, wow, you have a radio voice. I'm like, okay, cool. Keep doing it.
0: You, you honestly, yeah, you do. You do have a radio voice. I would say so. Um, We got another uh, comment here. Um,
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's one way to go. there's There's going to be good opportunities on Polygon. And there's good opportunities on Ethereum as well. If you just want to like farm and stay there, if you can time it right, you can get into Bancor and get some good yield on there. They do have pool caps, but you know, you can always move your link to other chains. You know, that's always that's always a good move.
1: Yeah, you gotta time it. I I've done some transactions last week and I poorly I timed it very poorly. <laughs> like I would use the transaction just when it was the most expensive and like five minutes later it was super cheap. Yeah. You gotta just yeah, time it well.
2: Yeah. Weekends I found have always been the cheapest. It's most oh, expensive really? on the weekdays. Yeah. So that, that's when you do want to do all your farming shifting around is on the weekends.
1: I, I've been aping into, uh, Travala. It's like this like travel thing. I, I'm telling everybody about it. I love it. You can use like crypto to pay for like flights and hotels directly on mainnet.
2: It's crazy. Interesting. Yeah. yeah I yeah. think they, they talked about integrating chain or using link tokens recently for that. Oh, really? That would be great.
0: Oh, Oh, that's, that's definitely another use case there. Oh, fantastic. Um, Mr. Mr. God, we wanted to ask you, um, who else from the community or from like the Polygon community or an individual would you like to hear from next?
2: Mm, That's a good question. I think it'd be interesting. I think it'd be interesting to talk to the curve guys. I think that's. They've taken a very like multi chain approach and I know they've deployed on Polygon. And I think they have some unique insights on their specifically like their the flywheel token model is very interesting with their VE CRV. And I think in general, they probably have good insights just about being a global liquidity layer for Ethereum, for Polygon, for all these different markets and how they how they treat integrations because you know they're not just liquidity pools, but they integrate with other protocols to then earn even more yield for their for their users. So I've always kind of found their product to be incredibly interesting. So that, that's what I would recommend.
0: Oh, yes. And that fits perfectly because we just added, uh, CRV as collateral. Right. O- yeah. Over this last week. Um, Charlie,
1: uh, Julian, you guys are, uh, yeah. yeah. Yes, right next, right?
0: Perfect. Uh, we have a few more, a few more questions from the community and then we'll, we'll let you get a bond, let you get on your uh, busy day. Um, somebody had mentioned here that you've voiced some concerns about uh, to not lend link on nexo um do you have any opinions on um, i guess one one thing is is there a reason why and then what are your opinions on anything else there
2: yeah so it's kind of it's two pronged one's more generalized where when you deposit your tokens anything to a cFI service centralized it's entirely opaque it's not only a custodial where you don't have access to your tokens anymore but it's entirely opaque where you don't actually know how they're generating yield on your tokens and a common way, which, you know, it's hard to verify because you can't verify it. They're not on a blockchain. And Mm -hmm. just to know I don't have anything against these projects. It's just that personally, I'm not a fan of putting my funds into a protocol or really a website, a company that I don't know what they're doing with my funds. And in some particular cases, they get your yields by effectively lending and shorting your tokens to effectively get yield on it so there's kind of it's not entirely transparent so if you have the ability to use DeFi to get yield that's going to be a thousand times better even if theoretically the yields are lower which they're not but even if they were you have the advantage of like uh transparency you know what they're doing with your funds how you're getting yield and you have complete control so you know if we have a mount gox type situation you're going to be fine from that so that that's kind of in general ccfi is very good on like the user interface front, customer service, but on the transparency and security aspect, that leaves a lot to be desired.
1: Yeah, 100% agree.
0: Perfect. And then from Enigma of War, um, what is your opinion on more, sta- uh, more pegged stablecoins versus something like uh, Qi and Maker um, or the future, uh, future potential of Qi when you look at the Current decentralization future of maker. Um
2: gotcha. I, I would assume by peg stable coins it means like centralized stable coins backed by US dollars in the bank account. Correct. So those are those are very scalable, but they're also like incomprehensibly centralized. So if we want to move towards a DeFi ecosystem that's actually decentralized, then you need stable coins that are backed by on-chain assets. And while Maker's Die has been very successful and it's used a lot of places, it's also backed by 50% USDC, which is a PEG stablecoin. So it's not entirely a decentralized stablecoin in that sense, because it has a lot of centralized collateral. But if there's an opportunity for Qi to focus on these more decentralized collaterals, creating these incentive schemes to go use these uh, my stable coins, then I think there's a large opportunity to become a global liquidity layer. I think in general, decentralized stable coins as they continue to evolve. We've seen a lot of different, uh, implementations of many different approaches. Some work, some don't. But I think it's inevitable that those stable coins are going to become a lot more successful than centralized peg stable coins that while they're going can be proof reserve, ultimately at the end of the day, they're going to be centralized. And with more regulations, they'll probably become permissioned and KYC as well, realistically. So I think there's a large design space for, for things like, uh, Key and uh, maker in these different decentralized and algorithmic stable coins.
1: Cool, cool.
0: Fantastic. Oh, yeah. I love hearing that. That was, that was great insight.
1: Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, I think that's most of the questions there. Um, but yeah.
0: Perfect. Uh, do you have any last, uh, any last, you know, words of wisdom you want to share with the community?
2: I would say the best way to learn about DeFi is to just start using it. That's like the best way to just get your hands dirty, start using it, start depositing collateral, borrowing stable coins, go depositing it to earn yield somewhere, trading to other assets like that. You're not gonna understand how it works really until you actually start using it. And then you start to understand it. Reading the docs always helps as well, but there's nothing else like just using it and then seeing what works, what doesn't work. So that's what I would recommend to everyone, whether that's Ethereum, Polygon, even BSC with a small amount of funds, you know, just try something out and see how it works.
0: Yeah. I, I think, I think that is the beauty of Polygon is you can really try things out with, with very little to no, no money and just test it out, see if it's for you. Um, and if it's, if it's not, I mean, you, you didn't, uh, you didn't waste you didn't a bunch of time. gas fees.
1: Yeah. 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 Like from, uh, Crypto OG.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Now thank you so much, Chainlink God uh we really appreciate the time that you spent we are super ecstatic that the chain link uh community and the link marines are now you know part of uh, the chi community um yeah really thank you for your time and we hope to chat with you soon
2: absolutely thanks for having me on happy to happy to share my insights
0: perfect talk soon
2: all right
1: Have